0: Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are
1: listening to the Girls Gone Gravel Podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Catherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Well, my co-host didn't show up for the podcast today, so Anna, you're going to have to be my co-host and the guest. I'll do my best. It's, it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> um, so I have Anna Hicks with me today, who is a new friend to me, and I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit. I'm excited
2: to get to know you too. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Of course. So our favorite thing, we always like to talk about your story of how you got involved in cycling. how did you get on the bike?
2: Yeah, so I, um, growing up, played a lot of different sports. So I started with riding horses, then I played some volleyball for most of high school. Um, then I started running track and cross country my last year of high school. And that kind of got me on a D1 cross country and track team in college. So that was kind of an unexpected twist. Um, so, I started running in college. Uh, I ran for three years of college and then I had found cycling during my sophomore year. So, that was in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, I just kind of picked up my commuter bike one day and I was like, I'm going to ride this for 20 miles. And I had a blast. And I was like, that was so exciting. It was fast. It was fun. I went so far. Um, then I was just kind of hooked on cycling. And then from there, I got my first road bike and then I got my first mountain bike and I fell in love with mountain biking. Um, and then fast forward to 2021, uh, I did my first race and just kind of, I then transitioned from running to cycling from there. Um and that's what I've been doing since.
1: So you, did, you weren't one of the injured cyclists or injured runners that took up cycling. You just found it and loved it.
2: Uh, no, I definitely had some injuries. There was a <laughs> every, reason. I
0: every runner. Me. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely had quite a few injuries throughout college that were challenging in their own way, but it did lead me to cycling. I think one thing that helped me fall in love with cycling was that I got to reconnect with this like competitive side of myself that kind of got stomped out during all the running injuries because I was constantly just kind of scared of running. And it was always like something that I feared versus something that empowered me. So then when I got on the bike and I could – go as long and, and as hard as I wanted without fear of injury, like it kind of unlocked this um, like competitive spirit again, that I had kind of been missing throughout those three years of running in college. um, Cause I don't think I ever, I think I raced maybe once in college, but other than oh, that wow. for most of it. And then also the pandemic was in the middle. So it kind of messed things <laughs> up. Yeah. You really had a sucky experience. Yeah. <laughs> where, did, where did you go to college? I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh.
1: Um, d- did you, uh, this is just jumping right in. So we've talked to several runners and a lot that were injured and a lot it was because of the culture of under fueling mm-hmm. and running. was where, where that your stuff related to that? Or was it more just like other kinds of injuries?
2: Yeah, it definitely was related. I think I had a combination of one being really new to running when I started on a D1 team. Like I had only been running for a little less than a year so like my mileage and training was really low compared to my teammates. So walking onto, well not walking on, I was recruited onto a team. Um, but coming into that environment, a lot of the girls were running twice as much as I was and running faster than I was, even though my race times were some of the best in my recruiting class. Like training-wise, I was very um underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. And so when I came into that program, I was kind of intimidated or like I wanted to prove myself. And so I kind of jumped in like to too high volume in training. Um, And then I, I did, I was under fueling as well because I like, I wanted to look the part of being like a really good runner. Like I was just chasing this like pinnacle of excellence where I was like, I need to run as much as everyone else is and train as hard as them. And also like look as fit as I possibly can, you know? And I think that kind of led me to this spiral of, you know, under fueling, overtraining, getting injured, struggling with mental health, struggling with fueling, you know, and kind of just like in that cycle. But I think throughout that, like I learned a lot of really important lessons that now I can apply to cycling and like I don't have to deal with those issues now. I just get to like train hard, feel hard, and then like perform well and perform consistently. Um, and I think that has something that's like helped me be in the sport of cycling where like, I think a lot of eating issues and overtraining issues are also super common.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like it is it's not and I do feel like maybe gravel cycling is a little bit healthier because a lot of people left Mm -hmm. some of the spaces where they um there was a little more pressure there like I think it's pretty bad still in the road scene um and a lot of it is like the old school coaching too right like I hate to say a lot of male coaches that still believe like the lighter you are the faster you are so don't you know, d- don't eat that extra piece of bread, even though you yeah
2: totally. And there's so much misinformation. Like my college degree is in nutrition, and I work um in sports nutrition. I work for Kristen Arnold. She has a she's a oh, nice. cycling yeah. coach, and she's also yeah, um, yeah a registered dietitian. Kristen. Yeah, she's awesome. So she's been a great mentor to me, and i I work for her in her private practice. Um and like we see so much misinformation out there in sports nutrition, especially in cycling especially in men's cycling, especially like U23 men, like they are told so many different things. Like I hear things that like European coaches have told them and it's just like, it's just not true. I'm like, that's just not how the science works. Like we can Google this and like Google's gonna tell us that it's not true. Like it's really, really basic stuff and there's just so much misinformation. Um, And I think it creates, it can create a bad relationship with food. I don't think it always does, but I think it definitely- Can, which I think can be dangerous. So it is cool. Like in gravel, I think people have almost become like competitive with fueling, where they're like, actually, I can fuel more than you can, like per hour, you know, like I can take in 120 grams of carbs per hour. And it's like, that's now seen as like a positive thing. Where like I think in past generations of cycling, obviously, I wasn't in it, so I can't speak from firsthand, but it seems like, you know, it was more like an eating is cheating kind of narrative, you know, and like under fueling was more praised. So I think like overall cycling is going in a really like better direction, more healthy direction.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, we do a lot in triathlon in the feisty world too. And, um, that's been some, a place where they've really seen like understanding fueling has changed, you know, like the races are getting so fast and Some of it it does have to do with the shoes and some of the other technology, right? But a lot of it is like now they're also making products where you can take in so many carbs an hour.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh,
1: yeah, it's really like it's fuel. Like you can take that in.
2: Yeah. I've heard like coaches and stuff refer to it as like food doping. Like just (laughs) eating carbs is like a form of doping. Cause like, which is funny
1: because actually, if coaches all along would have just been encouraging athletes to eat, like it would have been kind of natural. <laughs> like, okay. like because you have the energy to train, to, to, train to train and recover and recover <laughs> and it's just so funny like the the kind of the narratives that we went down and we're like how many careers did we actually ruin or we didn't see what potential that person could have had because we put them down this road of like under fueling
2: yeah that's such a good point I feel like that's seen a lot in running um I know like I don't remember I think I might get this wrong, but for high school girls, there's this thing called like the NXN effect. I think it's that, it might be a different me, but it's like this big national track meet. I think it's, I think Nike puts it on. I don't know that much about running. Was oh, is it the Foot Locker one? Or Foot Locker, yeah, yeah. Foot Locker. Um, and it's like, the, it's like the, it's like the curse. Cause like whoever wins that, like doesn't go on to like be successful in college. And yeah. I think that's, it's really sad, but it really like sheds a light on this fact that like, people are pushed at a very young age to like have this really high level of performance and under fuel and be underweight. And that just like automatically leads to injuries and it leads to fitness plateaus, you know, um, it just like has like all of these negative consequences. And I mean, there's symptoms of red S like relative energy deficiency in sport go so far beyond just injury. It's like your hormones, your mental health, your gut health, like, you know, just like literally every single like system in your body is affected by that and is harmed by that. And like those effects do last. And so I think it's like yeah. so important to like definitely change the narrative around food.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that you found a healthier place
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in cycling. Uh, I did want you said you played volleyball and before we go on, this is not a volleyball podcast at all, but isn't it crazy what's happening in volleyball right now? Like gonna the have to volleyball. Like it's like collegiate volleyball is getting the most viewership. Like they're beating out football games and oh, prime that's
2: awesome. I didn't know that. That is it's, so cool.
1: Like, uh, I think it's um Nebraska and Wisconsin. Their volleyball teams. Like, if they're playing the same day as their football teams, they're like beating viewership for football. Oh, that's
2: awesome! Yeah, like, there's something
1: really cool happening in volleyball right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that even when I was in college our volleyball team at Cal Poly was phenomenal it was definitely by far our strongest sport so like that was pretty common like everyone went to volleyball games and like no one really went to football games yeah and I think it's so fun it's such a fun sport to watch so that's awesome
1: yeah I think because it moves fast Mm -hmm. and you know like it's just it's an easy sport to kind of watch what's happening Yeah.
2: yeah it's definitely entertaining for sure
1: anyway I just was like oh I've uh with our the media side of our company on the feisty media side we have been putting a lot of content up and so I've seen that volleyball
2: stuff and I was like
1: because volleyball was not a thing way back when I was in high school that much of a thing mm-hmm. for women and I just didn't realize that it's taken off so much
2: that's awesome um, yeah
1: I know the professional leagues are starting to develop so it's pretty cool
2: yeah I feel like it's another sport where um I, I mean because I have friends that played volleyball and I lived with volleyball players in college and I think it's another sport like cycling where there's really not a professional scene like in the U.S. And like Uh a lot of the girls, like if they want to go pro in volleyball, like they move to Europe and they're like on some European team where like nobody speaks English and like it's kind of a rough lifestyle. And it's like that's pretty similar to road cycling, you know, like we don't have a huge scene here. So a lot of times like you're going over to Europe and you're gonna be on, you know, some random team and, and who knows what the what the environment's gonna be like and it does make it challenging for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Let's talk sleep my sleep routine has become so critical to my evenings. When I get good sleep, I make better choices, whether that's with food or exercise or simply my day-to-day activities. All the reading and listening I've done over the last year to help me with my sleep led me to Pillar, and it's been the quote unquote game changer. The triple magnesium formula has improved both my REM sleep and my deep sleep, which were two areas that were very much in need of improvement. I've struggled with both those for years. But even better, since I've been taking Pillar, I've noticed that not only have those improved, I just feel better rested and more recovered. Pillar is offering our US listeners a 15% discount for you to give it a try for yourself. Head over to thefeed.com slash pillar, that's P-I-L-L-A-R, and use the code GGG15 to start a journey to better sleep.
0: So
1: you went, you primarily were focusing on mountain biking um, and then now you're in the Grand Prix for 2024. Were you already doing some gravel cycling or is gravel cycling new?
2: Uh, Yeah. So I started um, doing road and mountain um, and I've done like a handful of mountain bike races, like maybe five or six. Um, And then I have done quite a bit of road racing this past year, especially Um, gravel has kind of just been like thrown in there for fun throughout Mm -hmm. the last two years. Um, I've really only been like racing like at a high level this year. Um, so I've done like a couple gravel races, but I'm definitely not like my specialty or what I've focused on for sure. I think this year, um, when I got, I went to Europe this summer and raced with Saniska on the road and then I got back and I just kind Of jumped into the gravel scene, and I kind of felt like I was in like way over my head because I was like, these races are really long. Like, I'm not used to feeling this much. Like, I, you know, I didn't even have a gravel bike. Like, I went to Gravel Nats and I rode like a cross bike that was on like a stock cross cassette. And like, oh,
1: that's amazing.
2: <laughs> nothing was like set up for gravel. Um, and so it was definitely just like jumping in the deep end for sure.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, we just had um, Abby Mickey on. A few weeks i think her episode came out the week before thanksgiving and we talked a lot about the road cycling scene in europe and it was such an enlightening and eye-opening conversation um how have you found going from being and you're just maybe getting back into the us scene but being a female competitive cyclist in europe as compared to america
2: i think the biggest thing is just the viewership differences um like when you go to europe like people there's a lot of fans and like, people are into uh-huh. the sport. Um, uh, I had like, remember like going over there and they're like, people are going to ask you for your rider card. And I was like, yeah, it's a rider card. And they're like, Oh, like it's your photo. And they like, want you to sign it. And like some guy had like printed off a photo of me and like asked me to sign it. And I was like, just shocked. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, like in the U S like, I don't really think even at the highest level of cycling, like you don't really feel like people like know you you know like you don't walk into the grocery store and people are like oh like that's our national champ you know like they don't they've never even heard of cycling yeah and so i think over there it's just such a different culture where cycling is a big deal and that makes it like very exciting um i think i'm an athlete who likes to perform and so like if there's an audience like i enjoy that and like i ride better so i think it was fun to be over there and like feel like you're actually like performing and there's an audience you know and there's like mm-hmm. people watching and people care you know it's like in the U S you're kind of just, at least in road racing, like you're out in the middle of nowhere. And like, there might be like a handful of people's parents there, but like, that's pretty much it. You know, like there's, yeah. there's really no fan base here. I think there's, there has been in the past and hopefully there will be like in the future, but yeah. right now it's definitely in a weird place.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. The disparity in Europe between the fan base, like that I hear of people and, and, and we also talk about this Abby it's just so that better to watch cycling, right? You're going through all these small towns. Like it's yeah. easy to walk out on your street. Like they're, they're very community based, mm-hmm. but the fanship compared to the way that especially women athletes are treated in the media over there is so different. And then we're kind of flipped here. Like I feel like women are treated better on the media side, but we just don't have the same kind of like, if people know who are fans of people, it's typically the males over here like they know who they are yeah so it's an interesting flip I find, I yeah like. I
2: definitely think, yeah it's just an interest it's interesting just to kind of see like how it all plays out you know like I think different disciplines are also different um and like women are I don't want to say treated different but represented differently in different disciplines of cycling like mm-hmm. I think you know like women's world cup mountain biking seems to like get maybe more viewership than like women's road. Don't quote me on that. I actually have like no idea what the, st- the statistics are. Um, But I feel like it's like seems more equal in mountain biking than it does like in road. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a, because mountain biking is newer and like road does have such deep roots like in men's cycling. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just interesting to kind of look at the differences.
1: Yeah, I would guess it's because in mountain biking, you have the same opportunity you have. And gravel cycling, like you might be on a team, but the team the team is not primary. The rider is, so you can like Kate Courtney has built a great fan base around Kate Courtney,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Where like if you are a you're a team, you're a fan of you know like Team of Visma, or and then mm-hmm. you might know the riders, but you might still like love that team even if the riders change or you know whatever it is. So like the team seems more important than the individual.
2: Yeah, do you think that affects, like, like how individual women are, like, represented in the media? Like, if they're on a team versus, like, as an individual? I, I think, like, if
1: you're a star of that team, mm-hmm. right, like, you have, like, everybody knows who Demi Fuller is. Right. Um, but I couldn't tell you, like, other people that are on that team, where I feel like when you are... Kind of representing yourself, you have endless opportunity to build that platform. Okay. So it's opposite, right? Because the team is doing all the work for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing well for the team, you have a ma- major advantage. But you could be like, I feel like an okay cyclist. Maybe you're not finishing at the top, you're not winning everything, but you have a great platform or you have a great following or you're known for something. Um, Allison is a great example, right? Like she definitely was a great cyclist when she was riding road and she did really well in gravel, but even as she started to transition out of winning things, like she still has a strong platform and lots of sponsors because of the brand of building community, um, stuff like that. And there's other cyclists that I see that they're, um, they just have like a great personality around them. And even if they don't necessarily win, like they're going to get sponsorship because people see them as a great ambassador for the sport, so anyway it
2: is really interesting I think like that's definitely something that is talked about a lot especially in this age of like privateering um versus teams Mm. like just looking at the support wise like you know it is interesting to see athletes who are very well supported yet maybe like don't have race results or or aren't striving for race results when there's maybe athletes who are racing in the world tour at the highest level you know like they're in the tour de femmes and and stuff but but they don't have like as much support like maybe they're not paid this much or just people don't know them um it's definitely an interesting little like dichotomy in sport right now where you can be such a like regarded as a professional athlete when really like you don't have any professional like accolades or results or anything um yet people like when they think about cycling they're like oh I think of this person and you're like actually like they're not really racing maybe or they're not really getting results but like you think of them as a professional but then you know like you said like you don't know the names of of all the women on, on Yumbo. And it's like, neither do I, you know, like, I don't know who all these women are yet. They're racing at the highest level of the sport, you know, and they're contributing to wins at the highest level of the sport. So it's just really interesting. It's interesting to see how like social media and like personal branding really, really does impact that quite a bit. And I think gravel is kind of an interesting example of that with athletes in so many different like niches, I guess.
1: Yeah. It gives a huge opportunity to people. Um, Mm -hmm. But if, but it is a disadvantage for the people that are like, I just want to show up and race hard and I don't want to do all the other stuff. If they went, you know, like winning will always, if you win unbound, it is always going to be a career maker. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like if you have like, you don't have a great personality, but the opportunities for your career can go a lot further. Mm -hmm. If you have a good brand around yourself.
2: I think yeah. you also get to have like a really cool impact on people as well, because you get to like build a platform where you can connect with more people. Uh, Cause you can like have an amazing story and like be a phenomenal human being who's super inspiring. But like if people aren't, people aren't connected to your story, then it's like, it's hard to kind of it's, like be that voice of inspiration or to use your story to build, I don't want to say a following, but just like build people that you get to inspire and people that you get to connect with and help with and, and, you know, you get, get to have a bigger cause, like when it's not just about the race results, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah. it just seems like gravel gives you the opportunity to see yourself as a business
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> or in mountain biking
1: too. I think yeah. in some ways, like we're built, we build a business at Feisty Media.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like a lot of the work that I do is focused work on things that I really like and are in my wheelhouse. That would be my comp- training and competing if I were a professional racer, but I also have to do a lot of crap That's like, not in my wheelhouse, but it builds our brand and it, you know, and I think it's the same thing. Like if you see yourself as a business, you're like, well, I'm training and I'm racing, but then also I've got my social media, meet- you know, like this I've got, mm-hmm. how do I contribute to the community? How do I build the fandom?
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think the people that see that they want to stay in this private tier space long-term, like if you can make that shift, you're going to do better.
2: Yeah, but for sure. Not. Yeah. Cause like someone will always, you know, win the race the next year you know like you can't you can't make your whole brand you know winning unbound because the next year someone else wins right and because results just like aren't they aren't forever but like I think the people you can connect with like those are much longer term
1: yeah I would anchor a guess that some of the women that are making the most in gravel cycling have not won big events this year or
2: yeah as far as I know I agree with that <laughs> yeah, it's definitely interesting.
1: Yeah, it's an. I could talk about the business side of things all day long. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So you you did get into the Grand Prix next year, and are you racing as part of a team? Or I feel like Christy told me something about this because I was like, I don't know, Emma. Yeah. So um,
2: me. I'll be racing with a crew team in the U.S. The NCL Denver Disruptors next year. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I I had signed with them before I'd even. Decided Wait, is this the
1: National Cycling League or?
2: Yeah, and so oh, you gotta give us a
1: scoop on this. I'm so curious. I don't know a ton,
2: but I'll do my best. Uh, I'm still. I mean, I've only really raced like one big crit, so I'm pretty new to the crit scene as well. Um, yeah, pretty new to everything in cycling. So forgive me if I'm very misinformed on. Right?
1: I think like crits can help you because the start of the races now are so, especially in gravel. Those big gravel events, they're so like hard and you know, the current stuff will probably really help you with that. Anyway, yeah,
2: totally. I think those road skills are important, especially with the women having our own starts mm-hmm. at all the races this year. I think like my experience on the road, especially my experience in Europe, I think will be very helpful because like the racing, there's just a whole nother level of aggression and positioning and, you know, being confident in the group and knowing how to move through a Peloton and knowing how to follow moves and which moves you should follow and which ones you should not. And, you know, all of those little racing nuances that come with experience. I think I kind of got like a big dose of that this summer. And I think that that will help a lot for next year. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I'm excited so, to see but the
1: yeah. national cycling league. Cause they were, came in really strong and then they pulled back. Right. So Denver's one of the cities that they're going to still open.
2: So the ways they, um, they still have like their so they had two teams last year and this year they actually added a third team. Okay. Um so they're actually still growing. Um that last year was their first year as a program. Um and then this year they have added a team in Atlanta. So they'll have a Denver team, a Miami team, which they had last year, and then this year they'll also have an Atlanta team. And then they're hosting four races, I believe, throughout the year. Um, like this National Cycling League races, and then we'll also go to the other races like in the U S so like some of the road races and some of the other um, big criterium races.
1: That's cool. And do you, um do you get a salary to race for them?
2: I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's they're cool. supporting their riders, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. And then do you train together as the team or do you, cause you're just racing the other two teams, right?
2: No. The so crit? they actually have, um, I believe eight women's teams and eight men's teams. I'm not positive, okay. on number, but they have um, other crit teams. Um, in the U.S. like that come to their races so they host the races and they own three teams okay. but their races like, the gen like,
1: would come or some of those teams
2: yeah so like a lot of the big crit teams I know okay. last year like Roxo race and um like Bullet Factory Racing was there and like CCB was there and I didn't I didn't go to any of them so I'm not positive but those are all like girls I know and, and men I know who were at those races from different teams so they have I'm not exactly sure who will be um, in the league this year. I don't know when they announced that, uh, but they, they have like a, a large field coming to their races.
1: That's very cool. I mean, crits freaking terrify me, especially as someone who came to the cycling through triathlon. And I'm always like triathlete go! Yeah. <laughs> okay, <crits laughs> <with me>. <laughs> three feet of yeah. me, either direction. <laughs> so it would be my worst nightmare, but they're so fun to watch. And so fascinating. And I do, I did hear, um, an interview with the woman that's helping to build that and it is like you cycling is such not a spectator friendly sport and so having events that are kind of the gateway to that uh like crits I think where you can create like a vibe and an environment around them is really important for the growth of the sport I think
2: yeah like I think it's really cool like how NCL is like taking this really nuanced approach and like their whole purpose is like to increase viewership and they're doing this like in this new and exciting way that's like really like changing like how we like view road cycling in the U.S. and I think that that's brought a lot of excitement and the fact that they've like gathered outside support from like other sport industries and that they have like kind of this greater reach I think can like really help grow cycling so it's cool it's really cool to be a part of that um and yeah crits are really fun to watch which is cool and like the thing the hard thing with cycling is it's just like like you said before, you know, like we're not necessarily riding like through towns where people can like come out and watch. Like it's really hard to watch road racing or gravel racing. You know, like my parents will come to a race and they're like, We can't wait to watch you. I'm like, you're gonna see me for about ten seconds, like you know, maybe once or twice throughout the entire day. You know, so it's like it's not that exciting to watch, but then it's like you go to a crane and it's like you're gonna see me a hundred times. And like and it gets exciting, and people like watching the crashes and like the tactics of crits is like, it's so much more precise. And I think it happens a lot faster. So it just makes it exciting. Uh, I think like the most exciting race I've been to this whole year is Tulsa tough. Like the crowd there is absolutely insane. Like it's huge, you know? And that's like, we don't have that in any other like discipline in cycling. I don't think like in the U S there's just no one has maybe cycle cross. Maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't wish because I think
1: it, it's like it, it's the kind of crowd. Because there the Athens Twilight. I used to live in Georgia. There was the Athens mm-hmm. Twilight, stream, and it also brought a huge crowd out. Yeah, and I think some of it is like it creates the same kind of atmosphere that you do get in a small town in Europe, where you come out and you're part of the community and you're doing something together as a community, and it's more than just like I'm watching people go by really fast, but I'm like yeah. hanging out with friends and neighbors and making a social event it where you can't really do that out on the unbound course you're like like if you're supporting somebody you literally get in the car the second they leave to drive for an hour to set up wait for them and then get in the car again and drive probably for another hour and then you know so it's just a lot of like time spent in the car trying to get to them to help them for like two minutes
2: yeah Totally. And like, I think what Lifetime's doing as like, they're trying to like create all the media around it is really cool. Cause it like allows you to follow the racing without actually like having to be like in the middle of Kansas on a dirt road somewhere, yeah. you know, like it allows you to like follow the racing and, and see the excitement that's actually happening in the race that like the racers experience, but the audience doesn't necessarily get to. Yeah. So it, it's cool to see NCL yeah. and lifetime, both taking very different approaches, but both like really taking large action, like towards, growing viewership and growing the audience and like telling athlete stories and stuff. So I think both organizations, wow. like I feel very lucky to be a part of both. Cause I think they're, they're definitely setting a new standard.
1: Yeah. I've said that like ultra running and even like Ironman triathlon should start taking a lifetime approach to where you're, I mean, one, there's a massive opportunity for sponsorship, like <laughs> to do stories on social media, like, you know, get such and such company, they'll pay you to post the feed on their social media um the amount of viewership that lifetime like the amount of reach they got from their social media platform at unbound was insane um but like also we don't sit in front of a tv for eight or nine hours and watch a race unfold right like you're out running around and like when you can catch up on it on instagram stories or that little 45 minute replay video they did that they got out basically a day later from big sugar was so great. Cause it felt like you were right in the middle of the race, but you didn't watch all the boring parts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like
1: 45 minutes. This is perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm
2: excited about this
1: race. <laughs> and I didn't watch them just like ride their bikes together for like 20 miles and nothing. Yeah, happens. Like,
2: yeah exactly. <laughs> I know like my, my family doesn't cycle at all. Like my parents didn't know anything about racing when I got into it. So I had to like explain to them. I'm like, if I'm, like, not in the front, like, that's a good thing. Like, you don't want to see me at the front, yeah. you know? Like, I had to explain to them, like, I'm going to be sitting in the middle of a group of people for hours, and I'll probably, be, like, I'll be setting up to do really well, but, like, it's not going to be exciting, and it's not going to look like I'm doing well, and you can't really, like, cheer for that, you know? You're no. like, oh, wow, like, she's rotating through, like, that's so exciting, you know? Like, it's not, like, no one wants to watch you line for for six hours. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's really cool.
1: It's even been a popular opinion amongst my group of friends, but I'm like, I've actually liked that the Tour de France films oh, is it's an hour and a half coverage. I'm like, I can, I watched the last bit. I like, because of where the time zone, I'm like, I watch mm-hmm. it like as work before work starts. Like I've gotten to watch it and saw it live. And I know like, I missed some cool things, like some breakaways and stuff, but like, you kind of see the last bit of what's happening. That's when most of the action is going to happen
2: yeah so yeah
1: anyway i know some people are like super fans and they want to watch or start to finish but i do think it's a piece of growing the sport of giving people the sport in ways that they want to watch it and that they have time and attention to watch it
2: yeah like, it's definitely important to, to know the audience you know and like yeah you're right like no one's gonna sit down and watch all big sugar yeah
1: like I, I was with my family watching you know like my dad and my brother mm-hmm. are watching football they're not sitting and watching a football game like my brother has it on while he's doing his workout in the gym. And then he's like cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like, it's just something playing in the background. You know, if it's like maybe his favorite team, he would sit down and yeah. watch it or if it was a really, really close game. But for the most part, they're just like kind of having it there. So anyway, it's I'm very, always very fascinated with how all things are developing and fandom and mm-hmm. obviously the business side of it. So, um, well, that's going to be a really different kind of um, race between your crit racing and things like Unbound and Leadville. (laughs) How are you going to balance that? That (laughs) What are you going to do to (laughs) trade?
2: You know, that's a problem I'm giving to my coach. I'm just like, how long is this one? (laughs) We will see how it goes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't exactly know what that will look like. It definitely like strategic Uh, race planning for sure and like strategic a races and like making sure that like we prioritize the ones that are most important because a lot of them are very close together too um, especially like that spring block it's going to be a little tricky i think but you know i'm I'm here for the challenge i think like this past year i kind of jumped into every discipline at the highest level for my first time all at once and it worked out pretty well so you know we're just gonna keep rolling with it and see how it goes
1: oh okay we're putting this officially on the podcast um christy fell asleep she's actually sick she's sick sorry sorry christy i threw you under the bus she's sick but she uh she slept through her alarm oh we'll give her a break she's sick yeah yeah
2: it's after the holidays she's been busy no stress.
1: yeah um well, which of, is there an event you're looking for the most forward to in the series?
2: I think like I have two that I'm really looking forward to. I think Sea Otter and Leadville are both ones that I'm excited for. I raced Sea Otter last year and I just had like a ton of fun. I think the course is really fun. Um, I love mountain biking and like I've been living on the central coast of California for the last like six years. So it just, you know, it feels like a home yeah. race to me. Yeah. Um, so it's very exciting. Um, it's also just a fun course. I enjoy it. Um, I'm also excited for Leadville. Definitely like much more outside my comfort zone. Like I have not done a race at that kind of altitude. I have not done a race that long. So that'll be two big first time challenges. But I think just like it's such an iconic race and it's a race that I've qualified for the last two years. Like my first mountain bike race or second mountain bike race, I like qualified for Leadville. And I was like, I don't even know what Leadville is. Like there's this race, you know? And like now, now it's like, I, I get to do it as part of life, the lifetime Grand Prix for my first time. So um, I just think it's a cool, like kind of full circle moment and like a, a good challenge. So we'll see how it goes. Just keep it an open mind.
1: Yeah. That's, it's almost every mountain biker that we ask that's new to the series is like, says Leadville. And then almost every like, cyclist, like pure... Cyclist it says, um, "Unbound." I'm
2: <laughs> so. is not making my list of most excitement. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, I would team. say the the
1: crits to race like that will be the hardest crossover, right? Because Seattle, like, it's a pretty it could be pretty fast, mm-hmm. you know. But Unbound is just like a long slog.
2: Yeah, I was, so. I was talking to one of my mentors about this and I think he pointed out like you know CR I think Seattle is like what a four to five hour race and a a lot of them are in like the four to seven range I think and he's like you know what after after that like you're just doing it again you know it's like it's you just have to be mentally tough and like eat a lot at that point you know like your training doesn't really change that much uh just like you just have to you know like get it done that one day so yeah see we'll see how I feel about that after the fact but um I think that's a good approach. Like not, not trying to look at it as like, I'm training for 200 miles, but looking at it as like, you know, I'm training this endurance engine. And those are, I mean, those are all the same systems, right. That you need for a six hour race is the same systems you need for a 12 hour race. You just have to race twice as long. So I think it's kind of just like this big mental, mental challenge and like obviously fueling challenge for sure.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Well, um, and then you're going to be working still uh, as a dietitian.
2: Yeah, I'm actually technically not a dietitian. I never uh did my year long internship or took the exam, but I am licensed in nutrition from precision nutrition and I have a bachelor's degree. So I am a assistant nutritionist or something like that. I don't think we have like right nailed down. But um yeah, I still will be working in nutrition and, and helping out. So doing that remote as much as I can.
1: Cool. So well if somebody has um had some past issues of underfueling, you would Good person to talk to,
2: so yeah. I hopefully like can really like my goals connect with other female athletes and just like help them build the confidence they need to to fuel and train really smart and and train hard and fuel that training because I think that's super important. So hopefully I can have a positive impact.
1: I'm sure you will. You've got a great presence about you, so I'm sure you will. Thank
2: you.
1: Well, um, I've had a really fun time talking to you. I'm sorry, Christy. (laughs) Sorry, Christy was sick. Um where can people find you if they want to follow you or connect with you
2: yeah so I'm on Instagram my handle is Anna with three N's so A-N-N-A Hicks H-I-C-K-S um I also have Facebook but I've only posted like once in the last five years so not that exciting yeah one um, and I'm also on Strava and I post there every day so just Anna Hicks on Strava
1: Cool. Well, if we want to see what this coach plans for you to drink crits and sh- and long distance racing, follow Anna on Strava and yeah. <laughs> get the scoop there. Yeah, the I'm very curious.
2: Unbound journey. We'll have to yeah. make that a thing
1: we'll see you coming in like everybody since <laughs> to turn do a wrong turn like yeah. when they come into the college and you'll just start doing circles
2: <laughs> yeah I'll be like oh wait
1: <laughs> you'll be like oh this is what we're supposed to do we're just supposed to do circles yeah. <laughs> until we like laugh somebody <laughs> exactly well thank you for joining me today I've really enjoyed this conversation and I can't wait to see you at some of the races next year
2: yeah thank you so much for having me I'm happy to be here